Welcome to MedTech Talk, a weekly sit-down with the innovators, investors, and executives leading the MedTech sector. Now, here's your host, Tom Salemi. Give the opening of the opening of the Six Million Dollar Man, the wonderful show from the 70s that uh, inspired us all to be better, stronger, and faster. But it seemed appropriate, uh, given the guest that we have today, uh, Dr. Josh Mackauer, who's now a general partner at NEA, uh, counts the Six Million Dollar Man as one of the things that inspired him early on on his innovating career, uh, and he's been studying innovation or innovators and doing innovation uh, from the moment he got out of med school. He went on to co-found the Stanford Biodesign Program, the principal hotbed of medtech innovation and innovators. He started the ExploraMed Incubator, working with NEA to create many great success stories, including a Clarent. And today, Josh shares his thoughts on the state of medtech, Twitter, and his earliest inspiration, the $6 million man. Josh Mackauer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tom. Great to be here. <laughs> so uh, explain something. This is kind of off topic, but you're, you're obviously a technology guy, med tech, and, and you literally wrote the book on med tech. Why don't med techers tweet? This is, again, off topic, but I don't, I'm tweeting out there. Yeah. I'm trying to get out there, but med techers don't tweet for some example. You have something like, for some reason, you have 252 followers. I mean, you're, you're a main yeah. guy in med tech, and no, one, no one's listening to you. And, and to be fair, you haven't really said much for a couple of years, so... Uh, why, That's true. why aren't MedTechers out there? Uh, well, um, interestingly, I have uh, like over 700 followers on my Coravin identity, and I have a few identities <laughs> on Twitter. Ah. Um, so, you know, tweeting is a lot more of a consumer outreach type of uh, media, at least from my perspective. Um, obviously, there are those that are trying to promote their themselves and the brand and so on, uh, and that and that's absolutely necessary when you're a consumer um, focused person. But, you know, MedTech is really focused on a much more uh, tighter set of customers. You know, usually MedTech is, or, you know, focused much on physicians, maybe the colleagues, but, you know, it, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't connect directly to our world um, as much as uh, consumer does. And, mm -hmm. and I think you'll see, as we develop more med consumer projects, you'll see a lot more tweeting going on. Um, but really from those that have the authenticity and are central to whatever that project or that theme is. Um, so it'll be, you know, in, in uh, my core event identity, identity is all about wine and all about that technology and our customers and, you know, what they care about and doesn't, you know, cross over much into any other other spaces. And I think, Similarly, um, back in the day, I was exploring tweeting when we were, you know, sort of engaged in the, you know, sort of the FDA 
reform discussions, and I thought that that would be an important outlet. But I didn't—I didn't do much of it, and and honestly, uh, you know, I don't know. It just some of it seemed felt a little bit more self-promotional. I'm just not into that, so it didn't really resonate too much with me. But on the Corbin side, it's completely natural because we're actually trying to drive utilization and awareness of a product that does something really unique and consumers want to find out about it and that's a great way to sort of uh, get the word out oh i I am all about self-promotion so that must be why i'm out there (laughs) (laughs) what corbin is that counting as a counted as a drug delivery device uh what do you once you give a a few uh if anyone doesn't know what it is it's a real fascinating little little tool yeah, it's a great technology. It's a uh, it's a way to take wine out of a bottle without ever exposing the wine in the bottle to air. Uh, so if you're a wine lover and you you know ever every so often just want to have a glass, uh, this is a great technology because you can have a great glass of a great bottle and not worry about what's left in the bottle ever spoiling. And so uh, this is a technology that is uh, invented by my buddy uh, Greg Lambrecht, and we co-founded this company about four years ago, and it's doing fantastically. You'll find it this uh, Christmas and most, or this holiday season in most uh, outlets across uh, the country and really world. You know, we're a global business and uh, growing rapidly, and uh, it's becoming a core tool for the wine industry. Um, and the way I include it in my portfolio of, of projects that I've worked on it and make it consistent is it's all about quality of life. And so Coravin is a product that greatly improves your quality of life if you are a wine lover and so therefore it's a fitting investment of my time <laughs> <laughs> so this nea job that you took this is just to pay the corvin bills is that the deal that's right exactly that's all it is <laughs> <laughs> well let's uh let's let's hop into that uh we'll get into your background in a bit but uh you've joined naa uh you've obviously been working with them for for close to two decades if not two decades as, as part of Exploramed. Yeah. But what made you sort of uh, you know, put on the suit and the, and the fancy clothes of a VC rather than uh, the overalls right. or whatever you wore in your little, your little workshop in Stanford? Right. Well, I'm actually wearing jeans right now. They're <laughs> black jeans, so you can't tell that okay. they're actually jeans. So I've got a way to morph my entrepreneurial behaviors into the VC world. Don't let, know, them, I mean, don't I, let them break you, Josh. Keep, keep, your, <laughs> keep true to yourself. I've had to wear a college shirt a lot more than I have over the last couple of years. The <laughs> t-shirt doesn't always fly around here. Um, I uh, have been working with NEA for 20 years, as you mentioned, and uh, really respect the organization. And obviously, NEA has a tremendous reputation and a position in the marketplace and ability to really move and, and, and make, make real change. And I, I've always wanted to make a major impact in wherever I spent my time. And, you know, I couldn't think of a better place than NEA to continue to do that. Um, they've been my financial partner for all these years, and I really credit uh, NEA and, you know, John Nira and Ryan and others, Ryan Durant and others, for to my success in supporting the things that we were doing, albeit risky. Uh, and a lot of those paid off. Um, and I think as a result, uh, that's probably what gave me the opportunity to, to move move here uh, at NEA, and I think the platform opportunity and the fact that NEA is still very strongly in support of funding and being a part of the med tech investing community is a perfectly great place for me to to transition to the next step in my career. And I was really looking to do something just a little bit different. And honestly, it is just a little bit different. You know, I still, you know, in my role, although I am an inventor and you know a founder and you know played you know, a role in getting things started. 
a lot of the job, you know, those those were fleeting opportunities when we were getting things together. But a lot of the remaining job was working with the CEOs and and leaders of those businesses and being a good board member and a, a, a part of the team and helping to advance those projects in any way that I could, with utilizing whatever background or you know capabilities I had to benefit the business. And so I see myself doing is still that in companies that we would back. So I'm uh, I'm feeling that there's a lot of compatible and very uh, similar skill sets that I'm applying here as I would apply in my previous role as an incubator leader. And uh, and actually, we'll continue to do new projects through the incubator. I'm working on trying to pull ExploreMed into and under the NEA umbrella for, for it to be a place where I can work with uh, you know, young or early uh, entrepreneurs with ideas and or not uh, even ideas yet, um, but just great people who have a high probability of creating something awesome and putting them into the explorement structure and allowing that to be a tool uh, to allow us to, um, you know, create new businesses through. So that we're still going to do work through explorement, but obviously a majority of my time will be spent looking at uh, new projects, both um, large and small, and, uh, and uh, investing in them. Do you think you could really get into a, a late-stage deal, really find that interesting? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I think what matters to me is it really has to be something that is novel and making a big difference. And, you know, I think the the, the tougher needle to thread is, you know, does it meet the financial criteria that NEA is looking for for returns? And so, you know, there's a lot of things that we won't do, small and large, but um, I think that uh, there's so much to be done in healthcare and so much need. And really, there's so much innovation. I'm, I'm particularly excited about the innovation in the consumer you know, oriented spaces and, you know, health IT and device enabled services, you know, sort of new concepts of devices that enable uh, new ways of treating patients and reducing the cost of care and improving outcomes. Uh, there's so much tremendous things to do there uh and that's going to really uh be exciting so i'm i'm excited about playing a role in in advancing those uh therapies um you know through the investment activity at NEA so so i hear those areas and i, I don't know maybe i'm just uh being overly uh trained to to look for buzzwords but it sounds like you're maybe you're you're going to do less pure med tech that you've done before and look more into those areas where med tech enables other types of industries as, a, as opposed to investing in a new implantable whatnot or, or some traditional well, med tech technology? Uh, no, we'll, we'll still look and we will probably invest in, and we just have actually, you know, and he's just you know, made a, uh, a, you know, an investment traditional med tech firm in the peripheral vascular space. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we will continue to do those those deals, but the you know the criteria is different than it was ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, the world has changed. Uh, we're not going to get paid for you know we're not going to get paid a bigger price for something that just improves um, the quality of care anymore. We actually need to reduce costs as well, and that's you know that used to be a um, an analysis that was sort of secondary, and now it's probably primary. It probably has to reduce costs as a primary objective, and then secondarily also improve outcomes as sort of the way that the world is working with reimbursement. And that that is the major front right now that is limiting um, the growth of 
MedTech is reimbursement. Um, so, you know, recognizing that, I think we're going to use a little bit of a finer filter on the projects that we would um, get behind. But I think there's still a lot of opportunity in traditional medical devices that has the capacity to achieve those goals. So um, absolutely we'll be participating and investing in traditional medical devices going forward, along with some of this new, mm-hmm. the new era of device technology, which I think is being born, which is in the consumer uh, health tech space. We'll take a quick break to remind you that MedTech Talk podcast is affiliated with the MedTech Investing Conference, the premier MedTech conference for venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, and executives exploring the next opportunity in MedTech. We're happy to report that we have picked a day for our 2016th event. It'll be on June 1st in Minneapolis at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel. So go to medtechconference.com for more information as it becomes available. And keep listening to the MedTech Talk podcast. Now back to this conversation with Josh Mackauer. And I know when you were exploring Med, you were looking at, at consumer opportunities. We had Bill Facto at the conference a few months back, and uh, and he explained that during his time at Explore Med with you, you were looking in that area. But I was, exactly. I was looking. I was thinking more. I know NEA will invest in devices, but you have been on the personally have been on the front lines of, of pushing back uh, against the FDA, pushing for reimbursement, naming names of insurers who you think haven't treated. MedTech fairly. Um, is this, and in a, in a, I hear you talk today, and, and you're looking at all these other areas, is this a sign that, that the battle's not going well, or, or do you see some, some areas of improvement um, in, those, those, mm. like, in those spaces you know, with the FDA? Is, are reviews getting Absolutely. easier? Is reimbursement getting easier? How, what's your, your, your state of the MedTech industry? Everything that I hear and I've also experienced uh, with the FDA is so much better than it was back in 2010 when we began our advocacy effort uh, to try to make changes. I mean, it, uh, Jeff Sheeran has done a fantastic job uh, in really balancing uh, the risk and benefit. And what we were all getting hung up on and was that, you know, the review teams were sort of spiraling downward uh down these theoretical pathways that were not uh, reasons to delay further investigation, not reasons to delay IDEs, and really not reasons to delay uh, approvals because they were all theoretical risks, um, and not all. I was, there was, you know, look, there were still a lot of things that were that were rejecting that deserved to be rejected, and I'm not saying that everything that was put in front of the agency over the, that time frame was worthy of moving forward, but it did feel to those of us deeply in the field that there was a lot that was facing amazing roadblocks and delays at great cost uh, that was not appropriate. And I think that um, while initially the position was that it was the quality submissions and all that, that was the, you know, the, you know, the industry lost its way in terms of all, all of those aspects. I think that the, the truth ultimately got borne out through studies that you know, we did, as well as others, validated through, uh, you know, repeating those studies and different methodologies, you know, basically showed that, no, this is a, 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 a gross problem that is moving in the wrong direction. And if we want to preserve uh, innovation in the United States and, um, and really our industry uh, and really the ability to advance uh, new therapies for patients in the device arena, we've got to do something and we've got to do it quick. Um, 
we definitely did something, and I think the FDA has really responded in a in a very positive way, in a balanced way. Um, it, it still is not. It, there's no nothing easy about moving a project through the FDA right now, but it is. It does feel like it's a much more fair and balanced conversation, and much more focused on on the right risks, uh, as I'm being told by many fellow entrepreneurs and um, company leaders. Uh, it does feel a lot better. The the tone of the conversation is better. Um, there's a there's a lot more dialogue around the right issues, and uh, and that's what's important. Um, and you know the right things will move forward, and the things that don't, you know, that should not move forward won't. And that's the way it should be. But um, at least we're going to see some more innovation coming out. And I see, I, I just the the numbers of approvals and the numbers of. Uh, uh, you know, applications that are being accepted for IDE, I think is a very positive sign. Um, so there's big changes there. The big problem that we still face and that honestly has been very tough to get our fingers around because of the um, the industry itself is there isn't what the nice thing about FDA, good and bad, was that it was one big governmental agency and they were controlled by Congress and therefore there were people who one could complain to to ask for change. And it really a, a requirement that those concerns that leads need to be listened to alongside, you know, the alternative opinion uh, point of view as well. And and, hope, and hopefully some balanced process could result that would lead us to um, something that would be the, uh, much more beneficial for the citizens of the United States. Whereas when it comes to the insurers, you know, you have so many different participants in this um, space, and many of them are profit motivated. Um, they're not, you know, government agencies solely set up to service the population, and there isn't a central place to go complain. And many of the private insurers don't really want to hear the complaints, and you know, certainly wouldn't want to hear it from industry. So, therefore, we have a much more challenging uh, road ahead to figure out how we advance new therapies and get them paid for. Um, and you know, we're seeing it now with the companies that I'm affiliated with that have new products that even have a great code with the CPT-1 approval and a great payment assigned uh, through that process, and then yet still we're arm wrestling every uh, individual insurance company trying to get the same treatment, uh, and it's not this, it's very difficult and very time-consuming and very expensive. Um, so I don't know how we get out of that box, but it is a issue that we have. Perhaps uh, some domains of healthcare where it's a life or death situation and there really is no, you know, there really is a dire consequence by an insurer not paying for something. I think there's probably more likelihood to pay and therefore, you know, things like orphan diseases and other, you know, sort of more biotech oriented projects are getting, you know, a lot of support with a lot more dollars than medical devices would ever ask for. But unfortunately, a lot of our projects, you know, really relate to, you know, more modest quality of life improvements that, you know, are really meaningful on an individual basis, but, you know, no one's going to die. And so I think some of that is, is frustratingly uh, diminished uh, in, in, in their eyes and therefore, you know, face much more significant hurdles in trying to get medical directors to get behind some new technologies looking for, you know, the next study and the next study. And it doesn't, it's not clear what, whether they really are looking for studies or whether it's just a delaying tactic, you know, to try to see whether there can there's be enough of an uprising amongst the participants that they'd see people leaving because they aren't 
you know, going to have this or that, you know, singular therapy to a different insurer. Uh, I don't know, but that's, that is our big, that, that's, if there is one big issue looming over med tech right now, it's probably reimbursement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had, you had identified, uh, in some interview, I feel where WellPoint is, as uh, uh, a troublesome entity, but then you, you also said that other other insurers yeah. were there as well, and that actually I'm reading Stephen Brill's book, and, and WellPoint is featured prominently there. So uh, yeah. it, it it was a great point by you. What led you to sort of assume this this mantle? I mean, you were out there, you did surveys, you were obviously testifying before Congress. You and Mike Caruso was out there, yeah. but what what led you to sort of take the charge? You you were you were out there in the streets, really pushing back hard. Yeah. I was, and and really, you know, still, still am. I mean, at that point in time, there was there was a real call for action. I mean, I look. I've spent my whole career um, focused on creating technologies to improve human health, and um, I was very fortunate to have a couple of successes that provided me with the ability to say, you know, maybe it's time to give back and 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 take some personal risk, and. Um, and really advocate on behalf of the industry because I saw so many colleagues uh, who had all these same concerns as I did, but for one reason or another just could not, um, you know, their boards or their investors or their, you know, they were too afraid of repercussions or backlash or, you know, sort of, um, you know, some of that happening as a result of speaking out. And so I sort of was just in a place where I felt like I could do it and it was a responsibility that, I needed to listen to, and um, so I went went ahead. It's not my nature to go pick a fight, but this was, uh, you know, I was really, really fighting on behalf of all our our colleagues who were suffering, and and really for the patients that were being denied the opportunity to ever see even the chance to have a technology that would improve their their health. Uh, you know, and this, there was so much reason. Unfortunately, it didn't happen fast enough, and we're still seeing the back the fallout from those years is still happening. You know, the VCs have, have departed. Uh, many of them, um, many businesses have failed or, you know, be so, been sold for nothing and thus generating no returns. And therefore LPs of VCs are saying, why are we investing in med tech? And all that kind of stuff has happened. Um, so, and I don't think it's over. There's probably a couple other, you know, firms to exit, you know, med tech investing coming soon and in the next years ahead. But, you know, there's a few residual survivors and strong believers, and I and I do think that you know there's a, going to be a rebirth and and this whole field is going to come back together. But we've been irreparably uh, damaged by you know that period of time, and you know hopefully the stuff that I did um, and that my colleagues and I did you know helped stop it from being completely wiped out. But we couldn't prevent some of the damage that has occurred regardless of the improvements that we actually did make. Yeah, it's it's an unscientific sampling, but we actually had a really strong showing in our MedTech conference in May. Justin Klein, your colleague, is a co-chair of that event, and there was a lot of energy and in, in, in positive feelings, but you're right. You look at the numbers and, and the population of people who are committing capital, at least for traditional VCs, and, and it seems to be shrinking. Did, did you get any kind of repercussions or blowback from your uh, your your very public you know, stance? I, I really don't think so. Um, I think that, uh, oh, look, initially, um, you know, there was a little bit of tension between Jeff and I, you know, uh, on stage and in front of Congress and all of that. 
but I think, um, you know, as the dust has settled, um, and I really tried very, very hard uh, throughout that whole process, and it was never about accusing any individuals or even really even accusing anyone at the FDA uh, of, you know, doing anything wrong. It was more of a pointing to, that, look, the system is broken, and we need to fix it because we're hurting innovation, and that's what the, the spotlight that I was trying to pull on that issue is innovation and the next generation therapies that are absolutely needed and so important are being threatened by all this that's going on. So, you know, it's too much. We need to, we need to, we need to be balanced. We need to allow the good things to progress and good things are dying right now. And that was really the central theme. And I think as the dust has settled, I, I feel like, um, even people who might've thought that I was, um, you know, being aggressive, uh, you know, I have realized that, you know, a lot of what I was saying was right and it's been validated. Um, and, uh, and I think major changes have occurred, have occurred as a result. And I think we're seeing some positive evidence that we're moving in the right direction. And I, I give credit to, to Jeff and, uh, and the other leaders at Bill, Mizell and others at the FDA for, you know, really listening and uh, trying their best to really steer what is a massive ship, you know, uh, and a very difficult one to to turn around. But I think, you know, it's in a much better place. And I think, you know, and I really, you know, thank them for for that and uh, am am very happy to have participated in in whatever role that I played in making that happen. Yeah, I don't think you ever took off your shoe and pounded the table with it. It was always very measured, and uh, and you've always updated to back up your your point. Where just in your background a little bit, where did you you grow up? And in, 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 uh, I know you ultimately went to MIT, but you started at Case Western. How did you sort of find your way into into the med tech yeah. world? You know, it's interesting because I when I was a little kid, like five years old, I sketched in a notebook and I was drawing inventions of you know. I was really inspired by the by the Bionic Man. I mean, <laughs> Who was it? Ideas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And all those ideas of you know we can build them better, and you know all this uh, you know sort of the idea of how technology could really you know enhance or improve people's lives, and I just always loved the idea. You know, just sort of totally fascinated with the the wonder and the complexity of the human body and and all the parts and how does it with this miraculous design of how it all works together. Just still to this day, it just fills me with a lot of wonder and, and excitement. And, uh, and so, you know, while that was there, I had other interests and music was one of them. I actually entered college as a music major. No kidding. Um, yes, but very quickly switched, <laughs> switched to engineering. <laughs> um, after I, you know, a couple of theory classes and a couple of instrument classes, I realized, oh my God, I can't spend four years doing this. I like music, but I don't like it that much. And, uh, you know, just found my way to engineering and bioengineering and, 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 uh, you know, I love, I'm, I've always been, you know, what attracted me to music was the create creative aspects. And, and I think, the opportunity to apply creativity to improving people's lives. I couldn't think of a better way or topic to apply it to. So I just love, love that idea. And um, so I was very drawn to it. That's why I went to medical school after engineering school, just to really learn about the body and learn about physiology. And, and that 
was a fantastic journey for me, always having a little bit of an engineering mind, you know, as I looked at things and uh, different lens and, you know, being partially dyslexic, always sort of seeing, you know, the reverse image of the image and, you know, sort of helps to see things that aren't there and, and recognizing how many things we took for granted and we didn't really understand about medicine that sort of really propelled me forward to believe that there's a great opportunity to create a career around building things that would make a difference. Um, and so when I got my first job with the Pfizer um, as a technology analyst, I was very fortunate to be given an additional assignment by Hank McKinnell, who was the CFO at the time, uh, that I should find out why you know our companies aren't inve- inventing and innovating as much as they were when they were independent startups and uh, try to figure out a way to do it internally. And that led me down this path of identifying processes for innovation. And uh, that was the sort of the origin of the what is now the biodesign process that we teach at Stanford. Wow. And then I utilized that same process in my own career um, inside of Pfizer as we created new, comp- new, new products. But also when I started Explorement in 95, that same process was the core asset that NEA backed John Nira, you know, and Bob Anderson uh, wrote the, ch- the first checks for Explorement on the basis that that methodology would would be able to create new companies. And, you know, we've proven that that's the case, and we've been able to create a couple of really great big companies out of that. And, you know, they haven't all been successes, but we've had a few, and I think there's some more coming. And now it's great to see the students at Biodesign at Stanford utilizing those same tools to create businesses and you know, create technologies for patients as well. So, you know, so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell? Well, where 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 was uh, young Josh McCower drawing those pictures? Where'd you grow up? Uh, oh, I grew up in. Uh, well, I was born in Massachusetts, and, uh, and my parents were going to you know University of Massachusetts in Amherst at the time. Oh, did not. And know then that. we moved to the Connecticut area, then to the New York area. I spent most of my youth in the upper, uh, you know, sort of outside the city in the Rockham County area mm-hmm. um, before I went off to college. So you're a Northeast guy, which explains the, uh, the, the willingness to step up and push back a little bit. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Josh, I know one of the, the more recent projects, uh, and I think probably will be one of the more successful projects to come out of Stanford, was uh, Oculi. We had Michael Ackerman on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. What role did, yeah. did you have in, in uh, putting that together? Well, uh, Michael was a fellow of Stanford Biodesign, and so um, we had the opportunity. And, and that original concept was sort of, a, you know, conceived within the Biodesign program at Stanford. And so during that time, I was his mentor and faculty member. And uh, you know, but I I don't in any way want to take away from the tremendous uh, you know insight and execution that Michael. Uh, pulled together for that deal. I mean, I just, I think it's incredibly remarkable, incredibly unique. He's an, he's an unbelievably talented guy. Uh, and he, he did something miraculous, uh, in a very short period of time and, and really evolved and adapted that idea to an even more executable idea during the course of just a couple of years after it left biodesign. So, uh, you know, I w- I've been a mentor. Michael's continued to be one. Um, you know, he seeks me out for various advice on strategy and technology from time to time. 
but again, um, I put it, put it all to Michael. And of course, Ali Bebahani here at NEA was on the board and I, I know contributed a lot to um, the development of that company. Um, you know, but my role was really just sort of being a, an advisor for Michael and uh, helping him in any way I could. Did you teach him how to be stealthy? Because he was pretty stealthy in uh, <laughs> keeping a lid on the idea. And even when I thought I had figured it out from a Stanford article, he advised me in my yeah. interview that, no, that was actually the old idea. We have a new idea that's even better. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I do think that there's an element of surprise that is important. And, you know, I obviously executed it in my own career as well. So uh, perhaps he might pick something like that up. Uh, <laughs> but again, uh, he's... Uh, he is a remarkable individual and a great entrepreneur and inventor and uh, and actually did a great job as uh, CEO of that early stage business. So, uh, you know, that's all him. That's all him. I mean, you know, you can, you can be a good mentor, but only to only if the mentee actually has got a lot going for it for him. And in this case, he, he's got the full package. I'm really impressed and proud of him. That's great. Are you looking yourself looking at ophthalmology deals or do you leave that to Ali or, or is it open to anybody? Ali is our resident expert in uh, ophthalmology here at NEA, so whenever anything comes in in that domain, I, of course, send it over to him. Um, but we as a team are very interested in ophthalmology projects and you know, look forward to participating in more of them um, as we go forward. And we just uh, actually just uh, closed another investment in ophthalmology from a, uh, that was uh, originally founded in the incubator that we backed um, a little business called Claire Vista, um, and uh, that's a very exciting project. Also, Ali's on the board there, so it's a great, um, great uh, new project in ophthalmology. So, yes, we will still look, and we intend to invest in ophthalmology going forward. Well, when we're done with this interview, uh, Claire Vista was a guest on this week's OIS podcast, so make sure you, you check it out. Final question: What would you tell uh, a slightly older Josh McCarver who's looking to get into med tech? Uh, what does the future of this industry look like in your eyes? I think that there's. It's funny because I just met with a new crop of fellows uh, for this year's Stanford Biodesign uh, class, and you know had exactly this comment, which is, look, whatever it was, it's not going to look the same. And you shouldn't expect it to look at the same. I mean, things change, and the the environment has changed, and it's going to change. So, as you are an innovator, you've got to be responsive. You've got to be flexible, and so you can't use the same models and ideas and approaches exactly that we used before. But we need to be adaptive to the current environment, and the current environment is calling for uh, the consumerization of healthcare. It's calling for lower cost, uh, much more accessible technologies uh, that really have uh, still a similar impact. And so those can still be implants, but they need to, you know, there isn't going to be the $200 million checks being written for these projects right now if they have very, very long regulatory and reimbursement pathways. There, There needs to be much more thoughtful ways of executing right now. Maybe we'll be able to get back to that someday. But right now, um, the domain in which seems to have green lights over innovation for it are are clear, and uh, and those involve um, much more straightforward and with a cost focus um, uh, pro- projects uh, that span you know traditional medical devices and into consumer and uh, health tech. Great. Well, it's it's supposed to change. You're right. That's what innovation is all about. Thanks for uh, thanks yeah. for for revisiting your history and, and, and uh, for giving us a glimpse forward. It's, uh, I can't wait to see what you, you do at NEA. Thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you.
Josh Mackauer, thank you for joining us on the MedTech Talk podcast. Thank you, folks, for tuning in and listening to this great story of one of the great minds in MedTech. Excited to see what he'll be able to do at NEA. And don't forget, go to medtechconference.com for more details on next year's MedTech Investing Conference, the premier event in MedTech. It'll be on June 1st at the Lowe's Hotel. And I can't wait to see you in Minneapolis. Minneapolis.